if Congress enacts the American uh, or the uh, Arbitration Fairness Act, the only beneficiaries of that are going to be the plaintiff's bar, and, and in particular, the plaintiff's class action bar. Uh, consumers are not going to benefit from that. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from a very fiery Southern California. And uh, this is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts, where it's September 1st, and it's already feeling cold. I, uh, I write the blog Law Sites and another blog, Media Law, and also uh, Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. Craig? And I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob, today's show is sponsored by Clio, a web-based practice management software at goclio.com, and Landy Insurance at landy.com. And for our listeners, in case you missed it, last week we had a lively discussion on credit card arbitration. We were discussing consumer rights and mandatory arbitration used when a dispute between the credit card holder and the credit card company arises. We also took a look at the lawsuit against the National Arbitration Forum by Minnesota Attorney General Lori Swanson, who cited consumer fraud, deceptive trade practices, and false advertising as some of the allegations in that complaint. And often without knowing it, people agree in the fine print of credit card applications to arbitrate any disputes over bills rather than have the cases go to court. Well, at least that's what they're claiming. And the question that we're going to be following up on today is arbitration fair and unbiased. Our guests have offered up some initial insights from both sides of the fence and engaged us with all of their knowledge and passion for this controversial topic. Well, uh, Craig, I think this week marks a first on Lawyer to Lawyer in the, what, four years or so that we've been doing this podcast in that uh, I think this is the first time that we found the conversation so fascinating and uh, so quickly ran out of time that we've decided to invite back the, the same guests we had on last week to talk about this further. Uh, it was a it was a hot topic, and it seemed worthy of, of uh, further consideration and discussion. So, so without further ado, we're going to jump back into our conversation about credit card arbitration. And to help us do that, we'd like to welcome back to the show Attorney Deepak Gupta, who's a staff attorney at Public Citizen Litigation Group in Washington D.C., where his practice focuses on consumer and constitutional litigation. Uh, Attorney Gupta directs the litigation group's Consumer Justice Project, a project that collaborates with private lawyers and other organizations to litigate important issues that have the potential to affect consumer rights. Thanks for coming back again. Uh, thanks thanks for having us again. Appreciate having the opportunity. And Bob, we're also going to welcome back Attorney Alan Kaplinski. He's a senior partner at the firm Ballard, Spar, Andrews, and Ingersoll in Philly. He heads up the firm's Consumer Financial Services Group. He devotes his practice exclusively to counseling financial institutions with respect to bank regulatory and transactional matters, particularly consumer financial services law, and defending financial institutions that have been sued by consumers and governmental enforcement agencies in individual and class action lawsuits. Well, Alan, thanks for joining us again. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure being back. 
Well, one of the areas I wanted to uh, talk, follow up on was was uh, something we only started to touch on last week, which which was that of of where we go from here and and of what happens now. The we talked about the National Arbitration Forum having uh, withdrawn from handling these cases. The American Arbitration Association has put on hold its handling of these cases. Uh, where where does that leave us, and does this leave it to the courts to uh, have to deal with uh, resolving these disputes? And uh, Alan, I'll throw that to you. Well, um, yes, uh, unfortunately, uh, when it comes to uh, the subject of debt collection arbitration, uh, there is no other place to go to resolve disputes. And since the NAF isn't there anymore, and AAA has imposed a moratorium uh, on uh, administering those kinds of arbitrations until it's had an opportunity to create a due process protocol, the cases, unfortunately, are all going to end up uh, where they had been before arbitration became more in vogue, namely in small claims court. And uh, the courts just are not doing a very good job, and I think Deepak would probably uh, agree with me on that, uh, in administering uh, small claims court uh, matters. Well, yeah, let me just jump in there. I think it's important to clarify, uh, first of all, that that we're only talking about a small subset of the, the universe of arbitration, and that is uh, debt collection suits, uh, you know, credit card debt collection suits. The, the vast majority of disputes that are subject to mandatory binding arbitration, things like disputes against nursing homes or against civil rights claims against employers or uh, products uh, liability cases, all sorts of uh, disputes that could arise, um, or even uh, disputes about unfair practices by credit card companies or, or lenders um, that are brought affirmatively by consumers, those are not affected by this decision by the National Arbitration Forum and the, the AAA. Uh, so we're only talking about that subset of disputes. And um, I think Alan is, is correct. There's probably a lot more agreement with us um, between us on that issue, that this this is going to present some challenging uh, issues uh, for the courts, where Alan and I disagree in, in that we think the courts are the, the proper forum um, for these kinds of cases. Um, but, but there's no disagreement that, that uh, some court systems particularly have a spotty record of, uh, of delivering um, full due process to consumers. And, and I think this this puts the spotlight on on those problems, and, and this is where I think maybe there's some um, uh, a common uh, some common ground, uh, and that is if we could join together uh, those uh, uh, that represent consumers like Deepak or and myself who represent uh, banks and uh, other consumer financial services providers, if we could join together to design a system that would work well for uh, both uh, companies collecting debts and uh, consumers who are uh, who owe money, uh, it seems to me that uh, everybody would be better off. And uh, I think uh, there really is an opportunity here uh, if, uh, you know, if indeed the uh you know uh the deepak uh is really sincere in wanting to design a better system i think there's much a much better opportunity to do it through arbitration by going to a very reputable 
administrator like the American Arbitration Association, working with them in creating a due process protocol that provides much more consumer protection than consumers get in small claims court uh, these days. Uh, and and uh, and by going that route or down that road, uh, you don't have to worry about trying to change all the the laws in all fifty states and all the rules of civil procedure, which uh, are not working very well for consumers. So I, there really is an opportunity here. I think uh, if if. DPAC can get beyond the fact that it is through arbitration rather than through the courts that the solution or the more immediate solution may lie. Well, Alan's a very uh, talented and clever lawyer, and what he's just done is is take what I've said and 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 twist it to mean something quite different. I am not uh, by any means endorsing a return um, to the same flawed mandatory arbitration system that led to the, the abuses that were uncovered with the National Arbitration Forum. I think what the National For- Arbitration Forum example shows you is that you, ha- if you have uh, private corporations that are writing the contracts, take it or leave it contracts that consumers have no choice um, to accept, uh, and they're they're picking the forum that they think is most advantageous to them. Um, you're essentially outsourcing justice from the civil justice system, and you're going to have uh, arrangements where um, you know the the private um, repeat player is getting a benefit that the consumers are denied. And, uh, you know, I think what the National Arbitration Forum uh, example shows us is that con- consumer advocates' worst fears were realized, that if you outsource justice, there's really no guarantee that you can guarantee uh, fairness and neutrality and all the things we expect from a court system. When we talk about problems with the court system, we're not talking about the basic rules of civil procedure um, or due process. What we're talking about is making sure that those ideals are delivered to consumers in, in the existing civil justice system. The only problem, Deepak, is that, uh, is, I think you know, uh, the idea of being able to reform the 50 uh, state courts, you know, that, uh, and even more than that, because a lot of times we're talking about local rules of civil procedure, which don't work, uh, that the prospect of being able to do any kind of, of meaningful reform to protect consumers by through the use of the courts is essentially non-existent. It's a nice ideal, but it just can't be done. Uh, I would even agree if you if if you know if DPAC doesn't like the American Arbitration Association, let's create a new one. Uh, the consumers and the uh, industry people could get together and let's. Design one from scratch. I wouldn't even have a problem in having a government agency involved in providing oversight over a an administrator. I mean, I really think that there this presents a, a terrific opportunity. The problem is, and 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 this really gets to the nub of the matter. And Deepak, you know, writes a consumer blog uh, each. You know, comes out. Uh, I see him on there several times a week sometimes, where, uh, you know, he mentioned that after our show last week that the truth came out that Kaplinsky uh, admitted that the purpose of arbitration is to um, uh, basically kill class actions. Well, 
The fact of the matter is the reason why DPAC and other consumerists uh, don't uh, like arbitration and they want to get rid of it, it's essentially to protect the class action gravy train that has been working so well for plaintiffs' class action lawyers, but not working well for consumers, and not working well for consumers because 99.99% of the uh, disputes that consumers have with credit card companies and with other providers of services and products are one-off kinds of things. They are not, they don't represent systemic abuse or systemic violations of federal or state law. Somebody has got a dispute about a credit card bill, something on their credit card bill. Well, you can't deal with that in a class action, and DPAC knows that. Uh, And and really, uh, it's much more effective for the consumer to be able to prosecute that kind of a claim in arbitration where he or she does not need a lawyer. Uh, and where uh, and if when he or she prevails, uh, you know you can get a pretty nice uh, recovery. Uh, now, the, the, you know, so you know when you boil it down, what it really comes down to is the plaintiffs' bar and the consumers don't like arbitration because of the effect on class action litigation, which is of so little benefit. As I said, 99.9% of the people are the consumers. Well, there's a there's a lot there. If I can be, if I could respond. Uh, first of all, I mean, I think if Alan knew how much I was paid as a as a public interest lawyer for a nonprofit organization, I don't think he would make the ad hominem argument that that you know my position is is just about protecting the the class action lawyers uh, gravy train. I mean, we are not uh, fat cat lawyers here. We we protect. Uh, consumers' uh, rights, and we think that the class action device is a very important means of protecting those rights. And I think, once again, it's interesting to note that Alan is not denying that one of the main advantages of enforcing mandatory arbitration uh, on customers for his clients is that it effectively uh, does away with class actions. And uh, class actions are designed for systemic abuses. So if there, if there isn't uh, a systemic problem uh, that, a, a, you know, uh, such as an unfair and deceptive trade practice that's spread across many consumers and that's, that's uh, systematic, then a class action isn't going to be allowed for that kind of case. Uh, but for cases where uh, companies are engaging in systemic practices, often systemic practices that may have a small um, relatively small financial impact on individuals, but a very large aggregate impact, uh, class actions remain the only effective way of addressing that problem. There, there just aren't enough uh, lawyers at the Federal Trade Commission to address every single deceptive and unfair practice that's out there. But Alan, let me just, I mean, Alan is right, isn't he, that, that there are a broad number of these consumer cases that are that are not appropriate for class action. They don't raise uh, the kinds of uh, industry uh, practices or, or issues that, that should be dealt with in a class action. And I guess the question, Deepak, is, is there, is there a, a viable alternative 
for resolving these disputes outside of the of the court system. I mean, do you see a way that that arbitration perhaps could work for these kinds of cases? And if not, do you see some other way of of addressing these these sort of uh, you know uh, run of the mill cases, these, right. these minor well, credit disputes? We are not. I mean, you know, I don't think that every credit dispute needs to needs to necessarily go into court. And I think that. Um, good collection lawyers um, for, you know, well before the mandatory arbitration system came into place um, would attempt to work out um, uh, arrangements with debtors um, without having to involve a full-bore court proceeding. And I think that's perfectly fine. I mean, we're not suggesting that people ought not to to settle their disputes in advance of court. Um, But the reason you need a court system is because it provides a neutral, fair forum, um, and there's a there's a great deal of a deterrent effect. There are all sorts of reasons that we have, you know, a court system, and we we don't want people to just contract out of it. Um, one way of looking at this is to sort of compare it to what Winston Churchill said about democracy. You know, that the, um, he said that democracy is is um, you know, the worst system except for all the others. You could say that about court systems. There's lots to criticize about the courts, but it's the only way we know of, of providing a neutral forum uh, where there's a rule of law that's established. There are precedents. Um, People learn about um, what happens in those proceedings. They're public. And if somebody's bad behavior is exposed, people learn about it, and that affects future cases. Uh, And we haven't come up with a substitute for that. And I think the the experience, um, the, the rapid demise of arbitration in in this one area of credit card disputes shows you uh, why uh, privatizing the civil justice system is not an adequate alternative. It's interesting that um, you know once again, as he did last week, Deepak. Uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, said arbitration is no good for consumers, that it doesn't work. But yet, absent from anything he said last week or today, is any reference or citation to any empirical data. It's Deepak's opinion. It's not what the consumers actually think, and it doesn't reflect what they're actually doing. And I would commend your listeners, uh, Bob and Craig, to look at the empirical data. Uh, And I mentioned how the Searles Civil Justice Institute of Northwestern University School of Law in March of this year did an exhaustive study of all arbitrations that were administered by AAA from April to December of 2007. Now, these were not debt collection arbitrations. These were the the lion's share of the cases to which Deepak referred. Uh, The debt collection piece of it, uh, I would agree with Deepak. It's a large number of arbitrations in terms of numbers, but it's not really as significant as the kinds of arbitrations where a consumer has got a claim against a company. And once again, look at the data. Uh, and look at the results of the Searle study, uh, where they showed that consumers won relief in about 53% of the cases that were filed and got an average recovery of about 20000 And in many of the cases, they collected counsel fees, some 63% of the cases, and the average counsel fee award was almost $15,000. And that study 
also debunked the myth that you hear over and over again about there being a repeat player effect. Uh, and, and, you know, we hear it all the time, but yet the study demonstrated that there was no statistically significant repeat player effect. And the reason, but is it, for- but is it the concern here that that the consumers are often? I mean, it's it's the imbalance in 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 bargaining power here, so to speak. I mean, it's that the consumer doesn't know what they're signing up for in the first place. It's not necessarily that once they get to arbitration, the process is 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 necessarily unfair or imbalanced. But it's that it's that uh, you know the consumer is is coerced, so to speak, into a process that uh, they really don't understand. But that's not really true uh, because. In many instances, and particularly in cases uh, in which my clients are involved, we give an unfettered, unconditional right of the consumer to opt out of arbitration if they don't want it. They can do it within anywhere from... That doesn't really address the problem, because if the consumer is not aware of the opt-out right or what it means, it, it, that means nothing. And, and you know, as we mentioned the last time around, the, all the empirical um, studies on opt-outs show that they're effectively meaningless. They have no real impact. Consumers do not respond to them because they don't know what they mean. Well, let me ask you this, then. Uh, let me ask you what you think, Deepak, about the fact that under Rule 23, uh, consumers or members of a putative class are given the right to opt out of a class after it's been certified. Is that no good either? I'm not suggesting that that all opt-out mechanisms are flawed. I'm just suggesting that people need to look at the empirical research. And there is a lot of empirical research, uh, this is sort of far afield, but but on uh, class action notice and on methods of improving class action notice, the federal judiciary has put out uh, model notices. There are experts that study this stuff, and there are ways of increasing um, opt-out um, response rates, and they, it matters a lot how people are notified. If the company, the one that wants to force their customers into arbitration, is the one designing these opt-out notices, um, you're not going to have high opt-out rates, and that's exactly what happens. It's not because people are freely choosing and they understand the choice. It's because uh, because the opposite is true. We're going we're gonna to have to take a short break just at this point. Uh, sorry to cut you off, Deepak, but uh, we uh, are going to take a short break, and uh, we can follow up on that thought after we hear these words from our sponsors. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Protect your legal practice with Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency and feel confident that your professional liability insurance provides the best possible coverage for the best possible price. Whether you are establishing a new firm, adding an attorney to your team, or exploring new options for your existing firm, Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency can match your specific needs with experience unmatched in the industry. Visit us at www.landy.com for a convenient online application or call us at 800-336-5422 for prompt and personal attention. Your practice deserves the best. 
Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're joined by attorneys Deepak Gupta and Alan Kaplinsky, and we are discussing credit card arbitration. Deepak, you were talking about some issues before the break, but what about the Congress's Arbitration Fairness Act? Do you think that would solve some of the problems that, that consumers are complaining about? Yeah, I think that that's, that piece of legislation would do more um, to address this problem that we've been talking about than anything else. And so let me just explain what that is. Um, the Arbitration Fairness Act is a is a piece of legislation that has an increasing number of co-sponsors in both the House and the Senate, and it would um, end pre-dispute mandatory binding arbitration clauses in consumer employment and franchise contracts. And what the legislation would do is um, essentially it would it would render those clauses unenforceable to the extent that somebody is forced into the arbitration clause prior to any dispute, which is really the the problem that we've been addressing. If people choose um, freely to enter into arbitration uh, once a dispute arises, the bill would have nothing to say about that. It also wouldn't affect um, arbitration between sophisticated businesses who decide that arbitration is in their best interests. What it would do is protect consumers and employees from being uh, forced into arbitration. And it's actually not an unprecedented uh, bill. The, when the uh, military uh, budget was passed in 2006, um, Congress realized that that the fact that uh, military service members were being subjected to um, all sorts of unfair credit practices was actually impacting military readiness. And so they put in a provision uh, into the military budget that exempted um, military service members from arbitration uh, clauses in credit contracts. And now that's that's currently the law. Um, and auto dealers decided that you know they needed to lobby Congress because they had there was an unfair um, bargaining relationship between auto dealers and auto manufacturers, and so they got uh, a bill that was passed in 2002 that exempts them from from pre-dispute mandatory binding arbitration clauses. So there there are um, precedents for this, and there are also bills that would uh, do the same thing for nursing home contracts and for contracts that poultry farmers have with large agribusinesses. These are all situations where there's unfair bargaining power um, and where the choice isn't really a free choice. Well, I would uh, submit to you that if Congress enacts the American uh, or the uh, Arbitration Fairness Act, the only beneficiaries of that are going to be the plaintiffs bar and, and in particular the plaintiffs class action bar. Uh, consumers are not going to benefit from that. It's going to be more difficult, not less difficult, for consumers to prosecute the lion's share of the claims and disputes that they have with companies. They'll never find a lawyer that's going to represent them in court for most of the things that consumers you know, might end up in a dispute with a company about. The interesting thing is, this is what's remarkable. You would think from listening to Deepak that when a consumer is entering into a transaction with a company, the most important thing that that consumer ought to be concerned about is what happens if I get into a fight with the company from whom I'm buying the product or service. More important than the interest rate that I'm paying and the fees that I'm paying, et cetera, et cetera, or the quality of the product. That's what you would think. And indeed, I've even, some of my clients are offering 
differential pricing. And I'd love to get Deepak's uh, reaction to this. What, what do you think of this, Deepak? You have two choices. You can get a loan from my client, and you can pay uh, 5% interest, but you've got to agree to arbitration. Or if you don't want arbitration, the interest rate is going to be 8%. Is that something that Congress ought to outlaw, as they would through the Arbitration Fairness Act? What's wrong with that, Deepak? I, I think you know, Alan. Again, this is a this is a clever lawyer's trick. Uh, he's, what he's att- attempting to do is to separate um, the choice of arbitration with the terms of the the good or service. But of course, we all know that whether there's some kind of deterrence has an, a really important effect on goods and services and their quality. I mean, I don't want to be in the position of having uh, to sue uh, the provider of a good or service. I want there to be public accountability and deterrence so that my cable company, for example, has some reason uh, to be afraid that if they do something that's an unfair or deceptive practice, there'll be some accountability. Um, and you know, the same thing should happen with, with, for example, the minimum wage or civil rights law. We don't want there to have to be some kind of proceeding every time something happens. What we want is for employers to be deterred from violating the minimum wage laws or committing acts of racial discrimination because they're afraid um, that the civil justice system will provide some deterrence. And so what I think Alan is ignoring is that the choice about whether or not to enter, you know, even assuming it were a real choice, um, to whether to enter an, into an arbitration clause, it doesn't just affect the particular consumer at issue. It affects everyone. If if a particular industry um, foists mandatory arbitration on all of its customers, then there's no realistic alternative. There's no there's no uh, real accountability in that industry. Well, what about the government? And I know you know you you give short shrift to that, but really that's why we have fifty state attorneys general. That's why we have the Federal Trade Commission, the Department of Justice, the Department of Labor. Uh, we've got the federal banking agencies. We've got HUD involved. Uh, they're looking at the really egregious situations, and if there is an egregious systemic abuse. Believe me, your organization, Public Citizen, would be one of the first to complain to a government agency, maybe the Federal Trade Commission, who I inadvertently overlooked, to get them to investigate. That's why we have the government. And yes, they cannot deal with 100% of the abuses that are out there, but, you know, uh, I don't think it's an appropriate goal for in our society to deal with 100% of the problems that are occurring. You're, there's a cost associated with all that, and you're not factoring in the cost. And, and, and Actually, I am factoring in the cost. Uh, and I think what and, you're and saying Alan, is excuse me for a second. We've reached uh, that <laughs> end of the program where it's time for us to wrap up and get your final thoughts. So um, let's, Deepak, since you're jumping sure. in there, let's get you your final thoughts and your contact information for our listeners. Sure. Um, well, first of all, listeners who are interested in learning more about the Arbitration Fairness Act and what they can do uh, to support the legislation that's now in Congress can go to our website. That's www.citizen.org, and uh, you can go to the Congress Watch website there where there's a lot of information about uh, mandatory arbitration. There's also a, a Fair Arbitration Now website that we've set up at www.fairarbitrationnow.org. Um, I do want to address Alan's last comment because I think 
Um, in a way, it's interesting that this debate about mandatory arbitration has shifted to a debate about the benefits of a class action device and the benefits about of private enforcement generally, whether we should just have taxpayers pay for the government to do all of the um, the enforcement of the law and, in effect, um, get rid of private rights of action in court for all sorts of claims that where Congress has created them. And that's the, the upshot of Allen's argument. I think it's a very dangerous argument. And if you think about how it would play out in all sorts of areas of the law, from, from civil rights to consumer rights, it's, it's quite sweeping. And if you ask government regulators whether they're able to address uh, everything that's out there, they'll say, no, we need private enforcement. It's a complementary method of enforcing the law, and, and the system would, would not function uh, without it. Well, uh, just a couple of concluding thoughts. I'm not talking about taking away anybody's rights, uh, because through arbitration, one of the hallmarks of arbitration is that a consumer is given the right to get through arbitration uh, any remedy that he or she could recover if if the if we were dealing with a lawsuit in court rather than an arbitration provision what we're really talking about here is whether or not we want to continue you know if we eliminate arbitration as as the congress might do through the arbitration fairness act do we really want to go back to the system that existed uh, before arbitration came into vogue, where class action lawyers were running amok. And, and that's why, you know, DPAC has a short memory. The Class Action Fairness Act, which Congress enacted about four or five years ago, that was an attempt by Congress to rein in the class action bar. Uh, Congress itself decided at that time that the abuses were rampant and that something needed to be done about it. Uh, and and uh, I, I also would uh, suggest to you that class action litigation is not the only way to go. Uh, indeed, the only countries, uh, only country other than the United States that really recognizes class action litigation is Canada. Europe doesn't use class action litigation. England doesn't use it. They laugh at us when they look at you know the, the what's going on uh, in the United States with the class action lawyers running amok. Well, can, and Alan, can we get your contact information? Uh, sure. Um, my uh, email address is kaplinski at ballardspar.com, B-A-L-L-A-R-D-S-P-A-H-R. Uh, my phone number is 215-864-8544. And if any of your listeners are interested in looking at the empirical data that I have collected dealing with the fairness of arbitration, shoot me an email and I would be happy to share with them an outline that I've put together that has all that data assembled to which I referred during your program. Well, great. Thank you, gentlemen, very much. And Bob, uh, another great show that we put into the books here. And that about does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. To our listeners, remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Yeah, Craig, before we sign off, I'm not sure, did Deepak, did you give us your contact information? And well, I gave the for website. listeners to follow up with you. Okay, okay, that's um, fine. But people, are people can also uh, go to clpblog.org, which is our consumer law and policy blog.
Okay. Well, I, I did, uh, Craig, during the course of that show, I did hear hear Deepak uh, refer to, to Alan's lawyering a couple times as at least clever. Uh, so uh, if nothing else, uh, I, I think both Alan and Deepak can, can agree that uh, each is each is a zealous and, and uh, well-spoken advocate for their, their case. Uh, and I thank them both for being back on the show again this week. It was well, thank you very discussion. much, Bob and Craig. Thank, thank you both for having us. Yeah. And thanks, Alan, for, for a really interesting conversation. And I thank Deepak. <laughs> so, Great. Craig. Uh, and for our listeners, Bob, we'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. And when you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. We'll talk to you then, Craig. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.